I love stories of overcoming and becoming. Welcome to the Corner of Hope and Wellness with Carrie Hill. Each week, I'll bring you a 30-minute bite-sized conversation with real people sharing real stories of overcoming challenges and finding resiliency. There were a lot of questions regarding covert narcissism and the wounded narcissist from episode two, Surviving a Narcissistic Parent. So guest Amy Axtell is back to share her personal and clinical insights. So let's listen in. Welcome back, Amy Axtell. I decided we're going to call you the residential therapist slash narcissist lady. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as as long as it's not like narcissist lady, (laughs) lady who knows some things about narcissism. All right, I'll take that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, somebody who has lived with it. Um, So the thing that came up was we had a lot of questions regarding the episode around surviving a narcissistic parent. So there is great things that we wanted to talk a little bit, go further into today. So one of the things that came up was people were really interested in the idea of talk a little bit more about this covert narcissism slash the wounded narcissist, right? Because we're really clear about what it looks like um, for overt, in a sense, that just pure narcissism that we see really clearly. Yeah, you know, I, so this is born really out of my own experience and my own observations of people, both in my practice, in my family, in my social world, that the covert narcissist is the one that's just not obvious to us, right? That they have a very uniquely, almost sneaky way of getting the focus on them, but they look like they are sympathetic, whereas malignant narcissists, and to describe malignant, meaning, as you said, obvious, um, the ones who are just making a bid to talk about themselves all the time or to get you to sort of bend to what their, their preferences are, they're really obvious to spot. They sort of are obvious because they 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 care very little about the social fallout of that. They're just single-minded. Covert, on the other hand, are they kind of come in the back door. So woundedness or injury is a really easy kind of currency. You know, they look sympathetic, so they actually end up more easily getting that attention and service that they crave. But I was thinking today that what what is a good marker of of how to identify that? And what I think is is true of, of the wounded covert narcissist is that they're more manipulative. Like they actually are more clever and purposefully manipulate systems to get what they need. Whereas malignant narcissists, I just feel like they're like bulls in China shops. You know, they're the ones that are, (laughs) they're like, me, 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 I'm fabulous. Or I'm, you know, I'm haughty or I'm whatever it is. Um, And I'm just taking prisoners all day long. Okay. I want to ask you a question. So when you say sympathetic, can you, I'm going to ask you if you can, can you give me a, a personal example? Because right, you talked about having an overt and covert parent. What would be an example of uh, what did sympathetic narcissism look like in your family? So 
there's usually something legitimate about their wound, right? They really have either been abused as children or they are maligned and abused in their marriage or they've legitimately had some hardship. So any of us that are inclined towards being empathic human beings would, of course, lean into that. But what you notice is there's never a resolution of the wound. There's never really much movement. So these are the people that, you know, to go, I'll bring it personal again. So my father, um, certainly trauma survivor, his first wife died suddenly, and he had two seven-year-old twin sons when that happened. Um, So when he moved into the marriage with my mom, you know, my mom was much more overt, malignant, and verbally abusive. So he was the sort of long-suffering And as a little girl, I thought, my poor daddy, you know, she's so mean to him. And I would cheerlead him and encourage him and support him. And, you know, even as a young child, give him support to leave the marriage. You know, I'm one of those people that wished my parents separated when I was a kid. It would have been a better (laughs) life for me and for, you know, others. But what, what is true is that they don't actually change. You know, he never left the marriage. He never got help. He just continued to kind of demand that people feel sorry for him and listen to him. But he didn't ever self-empower. So these are the people that stay in toxic marriages. And, you know, these are the people that stay in toxic jobs. They don't really move through any transformation. But you feel some empathy. They look downtrodden to you. Yeah, I mean, and I that makes sense. So part of, you know, we, we talk about sometimes that idea that people are still getting something out of whatever it is they're investing in. So in, in your case, you're talking about your father investing in this marriage, because for whatever reason, it serves him in some ways, right? So he continues to get served in some way. And maybe that was empathy from his daughter or, or whatever it is. So the movement never really happens in terms of, like you mentioned in the last one, growth never happens, right? So there's these layers and layers. Um, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but just putting on those personas, more and more personas to protect oneself. But so as somebody who lived in that, and like you said, as, as a little girl kind of was like, please just, just move on and make all of our lives easier. What have you learned? Like, let's look at a little bit of a piece of hope. What have you learned that can be helpful if you're in a situation where maybe you're in a relationship with a covert narcissist or a wounded narcissist? Well, of course, you know, I'm going to say get out. (laughs) Okay. Um, What have I learned? So, so, So this, in my mind, dovetails into the living in the ashes, right? If you have someone in your life that's covert and you start to withhold your empathy for them, right? That might be your personal boundary. You realize it's a gimmick. You realize that there is no, there's no part of that other person that's invested in their own healing. They just want the world at large to feel sorry for them because out of feeling sorry for them, 
they receive whatever the currency is, attention, friendship, I don't know what the particulars would be person to person, but there's something that they're receiving. And um, so the living in the ashes with someone that's wounded is that really you are seen as mean, cold, unfeeling, like all the things. And I was, I was thinking this morning that I talked about this in our first podcast that for me, you know, in my family being told I've been cold. (laughs) And I thought it's sad, but it's actually accurate with them. Like I am not a cold person in the world at large. My friends would attest to that. My clients probably could attest to that. But with the small number of people who have repetitively been toxic and, you know, emotionally difficult for me, because I did say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm pulling back. Mm -hmm. I'm not friendly. I'm not warm. I don't take um, invitations that are placed in front of me that look like they're going to get me back into the web. I say no. So it's a really interesting dichotomy. You can be this person, you know, 95% of you can be out here with really clear character development that kind of people will say, yes, 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 that's who she is. And then this 5% of the world sees you in this distorted way because you have to almost be distorted with them. So it's almost accurate, which is weird. Well, I think I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to read because this is, I love the quote and this is from the last podcast that you did, which was, um, you have to live in the ashes of those mischaracterizations, not chase down the corrections. And we talked about it and you're talking about it right now in in the framework that's around narcissism. But I also think that's just about what we have to do as adults in terms of growth. If we, so right, you have, you're talking about outliers in a sense. And it makes sense that you would protect yourself and you would come across that way if you're setting a boundary. And for folks who don't like boundaries, then of course you're going to come across as cold, right? Or or whatever the characterizations are. But I just think I loved that quote because it just, it talks about growth. And for me, it's always about how can we grow and move? And so for me, it's always about how how am I in the world how am I maybe taking in the perceptions, but not taking them in, you know, hearing those perceptions, but that, and then going like, does that fit? Right. And you have to weigh out, well, does that fit for me? You know, that same thing about, you know, if one person tells you, you have a tail, um, you could probably ignore it. If eight, 10, 20 people tell you have a tail, you might want to look behind your back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was thinking as you were saying that it's sort of like, I don't want to imply that you ceremoniously dismiss feedback from people because that in and of itself is narcissism. (laughs) I don't have to hear anything, right? No, but I think if you recognize that your relationships in the large gestalt of your life are functional and warm and communicative and have healthy conflict resolution and this very small, you know, group of people that you've also identified having some of these features you can't get that ground with, then you have to say those people's 
characterization of me don't have merit. They just don't have merit. But I agree with what you said before that being an adult, you know, it's almost like being a being a self-actualizer or moving towards self-actualization means we have to live in the ashes repeatedly of people seeing us change and evolve. Even if you don't have narcissism in your life, but let's say you come from a really tribal system, you know, like culture or religion or something where this is always the way we've done it. And you become an adult who says that doesn't fit for me or I want to be different. That is also a place where you're going to have to live in the ashes. You know, I mean, that is a huge, a huge challenge for a lot of people that keeps them saying, well, I'm just going to cave to the tribal way. It's easier because I don't have to hear so much flack. But it's a crush to the soul when you do that, if you know your life wants to go somewhere else. Yes. Yes. So I have a, a question for you. Um, I'm thinking about in my life, whatever it is, I have served folks who I would say are have those the characteristics of narcissism and a lot of obviously underneath that is a lot of insecurity, right? We, we talked about that last time. Um, and what I find is I serve them more. I make sure that folks like that feel okay. Whereas I go, in yours and I's relationship, we're just friends. We support each other. We cheer each other on. But there's like almost this drive um, for me to make sure that person feels okay. I mean, obviously I'm growing and I'm getting better about that. But if I came into your office and I said, I'm in this relationship where I feel like I have to build this person up all the time. I'm exhausted. I'm not taking care of myself. What would be some some feedback you would share besides get out? <laughs> well, first I would, yeah, no, I know that's a joke. Um, I would I would want to understand what that person got out of being such an overfunctioner and such a caretaker. You know, what narrative do you get to have about yourself? Do you feel you know like oh I should be sainted? You know, do you get a lot out of being a martyr? Um, what do you tell yourself about the other person? Because I often hear partners of um, covert narcissists say, well, they would just be lost without me, or they wouldn't know how to handle X, Y, Z without me. And I think, huh. So you're feeding the, the idea that they're helpless or you're, you know, you're continuing to perpetuate. Yeah. It's a symbiosis, right? So if that person is legitimately wanting to change something, they themselves are going to have to live in all kinds of ashes. They're going to have to really say like, well, maybe my partner is actually an adult underneath all that wounding and has much more capability. And I want to see if he or she rises up into it. And maybe my identity has gotten really hijacked by this idea that I'm sort of superior in my relationship. I mean, there's lots of layers that they're super interesting that's really cool that's i mean i'm I'm just i i think about this goes back to we all get served different ways right there we're all there's something in everything for us and for me i think i i'm going thinking about some of those relationships which i've actually let go of at this point but i was thinking about that what is that drive when i feel somebody is really insecure that it's my I, my service to them is to build them up and feel the best that they can. And then I also recognize I'm not being very authentic. 
um, as a as as Carrie when I do that because it goes beyond just a friendship. It's how do yeah. I make this this person feel okay? Like that's my duty, which I know is not. <laughs> well, I think there's a difference too between someone that you sense has a legitimate insecurity that is maybe event specific, you know, like I'm really nervous to do this public speaking thing. And then you want to kind of help support them and build them up with confidence. That seems different to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're talking about people that chronically show up as needy or, and I want to, again, say neediness and need are different. We all have need, but neediness is a more chronic kind of parasite type of arrangement. I don't have to grow up. You need to kind of carry me. You need to fill me up. So again, wounded narcissists love that. You know, I just get to sit here and cry about my hard life and your job is to make me feel better about it. Meanwhile, I'm not going to do anything to change my own story about it or take the yeah. step make my life better. You're just now enslaved in this. And if you break the contract, you abandoned me. Right. And that actually goes and that and now we're going back to the the, the wounded covert yep. narcissism. Right. That's I I it's just it's you there's so many places you can go in terms of that. I want to I, I do want to point something out. Um I know that in terms of this particular podcast, the surviving a narcissistic parent, that it 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 activated, it triggered, it brought up a lot of feelings for a lot of people. Um, and I also go listening to us talk right now. I want to remind people because people start diagnosing themselves and their relationships when they start yeah. listening to these pieces is is not to go too far down that rabbit hole. If there are pieces that are helpful and hopeful to you in this conversation, I, I say, use it, use it. But people sometimes will go like, oh my gosh. I mean, I listen, sometimes I go, okay, so am I coming across this way? This right. <laughs> right. Where we get kind of caught and up of in course, that. Of course, as we said in the first one, all of this stuff exists on a continuum. So you can have someone who has mm -hmm. just a few features or you might have a few features you identify. and. Features generally are fairly correctable with a little bit of self-acknowledgement and attention paid to them. But, you know, malignancy is when you have features that over time get indulged, they turn into patterns, they turn into habits, they turn into a navigational system and you don't deviate out of it. So. Ooh, talk a little bit more about navigational system. I like that. Well, a narcissist's navigational system in life to get um, to get the the you know the fill up you know the gas the gas tank is always on empty because they're sucking black holes there's never filling up but so they're running around always on empty so the navigational system for obvious malignant narcissists is to talk about themselves without asking other people about them, to, um, I, so many of the things we've talked about, vanity, these are the really obvious things. Um, people that are disinterested in others and endlessly interested in just having the attention focused on them in some way. And then the covert version is that the navigation system is, I need love and attunement, which is a healthy need, 
but I don't know how to be whole as a person and still receive it. So I'm going to use my endless poor is me. I'm wounded. I've suffered more than everyone else. Um, my wounds trump your wounds. So therefore I should take the floor. That's their navigation system to try to get something healthy, but it's such an unhealthy pattern that they end up really repelling people. You know, it's, it's, this is a, this is a real kind of clue for people who are looking at their, their, their tribe and maybe thinking like, Ooh, that person seems like a wounded narcissist or somebody who's got this personality disorder. One of the things that I look at is, do they have the ability to hold on to relationships? Now, certainly sometimes it looks like they do because uh, as in my parents' marriage, a malignant and a wounded narcissist come together and they will stay toxic together for a really long time. But in general, I would say, neither of my parents really had close relationships with other people that were long-term and, and sustainable. And so I look at people like, can, can they hold on to a relationship or do they have a series of, of relationships, romantic, friendship, otherwise, that keep arcing early? You know, they start with somebody, they have a crisis, the relationship ends, they go to another person. Because I, I know that there are so, so, so many people who have these either diagnoses or tendencies that have that problem. Yeah. So again, so, if, you, if you're on the other end of it, right, you're like, oh, they don't have anyone else. I have to. Right. Right. And, and. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna actually edit what I was just gonna say. <laughs> well, if you're gonna edit, say it then, because maybe we'll maybe I'll riff off of it in a different way. <laughs> I know. I was just gonna say, you know, you need to get over yourself too. <laughs> if I'm jumping in, no, if I'm jumping in and saving the wounded, oh you know, I'm going. I've I've got some looking looking at to do. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the very best marriage is between the wounded narcissist and the martyr. Please don't or, use the word best. <laughs> or even the malignant narcissist and the martyr, right? The people who stay in these relationships get a lot of, um, you know, accolades for their secondary suffering. You know? Yeah. To me. Maybe this is the place where I depart from a a group of people. I actually did a Facebook post about this. We talked about um, over wine the other night. I'm not somebody who's super thrilled with identifying with pain and wound. I don't ignore it in my life. I do my very best to work through those things, learn from them. But this business of sort of overly identifying with your suffering, I I see that coming and I want to be like, I'll give you I'll give you some some chances to show me whether you're going to stick yourself there, you're going to move through it. But if you're in my personal life and you're doing that, I'm like at some point sayonara. Can't do it. Well, and and here's the thing that I feel like about us being in our and you and I have traveled through our 30s together, our 40s together and now our 50s together. Wow, that is so cool. Um <laughs> And I think about as, and I, and you and I get to reflect on this a lot of the times is 
as we change and our navigational system changes because we're growing, um, is that there's your tolerance for a lot of things goes down. And I'm not saying discomfort, you know, that I'm not, I don't want to grow. I'm going to avoid growing because then I have to have it be tolerant. But it's really the tolerance, like you're saying, I'm much more into how do I create joy? How do I create celebration? Big one for me. How do I build women up in a really yeah. authentic way? And, you know, now we're going to go into, this is a whole nother podcast, right? But there's those things that I feel like is it's really important. And I guess we're going to tie in tribe to this as well is you want to see reflected back what, what you're putting out there. Um, and, and for me, rescuing besides dogs and cats at this point in my life feels um, like a bigger job than I want to take on. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I think that we, our tolerance changes. I think that we don't want to engage in things that, you know, suck something from us energetically because we're on limited energetic, limited energy as we get older. So we were a little more protective mm-hmm. of it. Absolutely. And those emotional vampires become draining. Yes, totally. So I think we're going to, I think we're going to hold on to, we always had, there's always more room to talk about tribe because like I've, I've mentioned this before, every single podcast I have done so far, um, some of those that haven't been put out there yet. One of the biggest tools that people have is their need for connection with people and finding their tribe. So there's just ongoing discussions about that. Um, So I want to, I want to just go back and just to talk about, um, that, that piece, I hope this is helpful because there were some really interesting comments and curiosities around narcissism and how that, that piece, the covert, the wounded piece impacts family members. So yeah. I really appreciate you just doing a little bit more clarifying residential therapist slash narcissist lady. <laughs> What do we say, lady who knows stuff about narcissism? Yeah. Yes, exactly. We want to be we want to be person first in our language, as me as opposed to me labeling you that. So, I'm going to say thank you again, Amy, and for all of you, Amy is going to be making many more appearances because we riff together so well. And um, whenever we're together talking, we were like, "Oh, that'd be a good podcast." So we're just going to keep ripping. Love it, love it. Thanks. It was awesome. fun. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening this week. And make sure that you check out the show notes to learn more about Amy Axtell. And if you missed part one of this series, it's episode two, Surviving a Narcissistic Parent. If you'd like to get your weekly dose, please follow me on your favorite app and write a review while you're there. And you can also join me on my Facebook and Instagram pages, Corner of Hope and Wellness. Look forward to next week where I'll meet you at the Corner of Hope and Wellness.